We've been uh, doing Blue Team in, in Systems Administration and also doing pen tests for quite a while. And we've always done recon as part of a pen test. And a lot of organizations we kind of suspect aren't doing it themselves. And we kind of looked at it from the perspective of how can we help with that? And from Blue Team perspective, you know, it's like, yeah, you can do these things, but you really don't know what kind of impact you're having. And hopefully we're, we tried to get some solutions around that that could help you understand what an attacker might be able to find, but also how you can make this um, as a platform that isn't cost inefficient or uh, cost prohibitive. So getting into it, um, John, would you like to talk about the executive problem statement? Yes, absolutely. I will take the executive problem statement. So whenever we're looking at like at a high level, whenever you're talking about implementing these programs, whether it's a purple team program or a hunt team program, a lot of our webcasts we're trying to add in the slide so that you can basically communicate effectively what we're talking about. And clearly I have no variation in my shirt choices. So when you're looking at the information that's out there for your organization, right? You got organizational information, employees, who's the leadership at a company. And these are things that we use in a variety of our red teams and uh, purple teams and some of our black teams where we'll use that against somebody. A good example would be if we're targeting leadership and able to go after them, we'll use like a transunion a TLOXP account to find out all their loans and their houses and as much as we can. And then you can create a customized spear phishing attack for that leadership. That actually lines up very, very closely with like a business email compromise type scenario. Uh, technologies that are being utilized, we can find those things in different, different areas like job postings. Once again, job postings and things of that nature, we can find what are the security technologies that they're using. Partnerships, vendors, and clients. This ties back to the target breach. If you're looking at a vendor, you know, they basically came in through, I think it was an Ariba portal VPN, and we're able to get access to the target environment. When you're doing recon, you can't just look at it from a pen test perspective, but you also need to look at it as how would an attacker actually utilize this as well. So hopefully that was correct, guys. No, oh, it's perfect. Nailed it. I think we're going to try to add this slide to every webcast going forward. Can we, can we do that? The the picture, the business. Oh, it's just the picture. Yeah. 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 So when we talk yeah. about reconnaissance, um, this looks familiar. It does. <laughs> we talk about reconnaissance. There's a lot of different aspects you could look at it. And, you know, the big one for our industry is talking about OSINT and, and what that means. But from an attacker's perspective, you know, what might be interesting is information about the organization, the employees, leadership. You know, John kind of talked about like monster.com, like getting information from different places, different sources. You know, what kind of technologies they have in the organization that are set up, what kind of security operations do they run, software types, that type of thing. And also, again, you know, those, those partnerships and vendors. And I think what's interesting about it in, in that perspective is we go into some organizations as, as part of a pen test and we look at it and I'm like, oh man, we found this just sitting out on GitHub, right? They have, you, have, you have private source code, proprietary source code that, that has a private key on GitHub on a, a public repo. And it's those types of things that a lot of organizations don't think to go look for and we have to go find. So well, let's talk about OSINT then. So open source intelligence, has been around for a long time. And the take on it that an organization like us would have is the different sources we can use to go and find information. Some examples of that, you know, are the different big repos of data that are out there. If you think about all the big public databases that are there, the ones that are private that have public data, you know, stuff that comes from even the target breach, you can find information on from that breach that's now out in the open. It's not technically owned by anyone but target, but now it's, you know, in the not public public domain. This has exploded too, right? There's so many APIs that you can go OSINT against companies. It's, it, I mean, it's just terrifying. There's so much data about everyone and everything and every company and uh, this um, bugs me a little bit. So I was actually, because you know I did my research, right? Because we, we have to do research to keep up on everything. And um, Wikipedia has this really great token here. It's called gray literature. And I, I really liked that one because it's, it's I don't know. It seems kind of silly to me, but the idea is that you can find information on the internet that maybe wasn't never intended to be public. And I think that's really useful to know. And a lot of organizations don't think that. They don't look for that, that leakage of data into the public internet. So this is a great slide because of how ugly it is. If you think about the control of OSINT that an organization would have, as an employer, 
Um, can we tell our employees what they can and cannot post on a personal web page? You know, the answer might be really easy if it's something like you're not allowed to post our proprietary code that we paid you to write on your personal GitHub page and then make it public, right? Those are fairly easy things to determine. However, what about those gray areas that, that aren't as easily defined? And even at that, you know, if one of those employees does do that leakage, it could be unintentional. It could have been that they pushed a repo that had a private key in it and that's was an accident. Maybe they had the wrong Git, uh, Git account set up. What, what's the re remediation for that? What if the employee says, ah, I'm not gonna do that? Or what if the employee is no longer available to make a change? You now have to go work with the third party and prove that that source code is yours and you want it taken down. There's that type of thing. Or if there's information posted to Pacepan, if there's information posted to Facebook, Twitter, that type of stuff, what's the legal uh, ability for you to take, tell those companies, hey, stop putting that out there, that's our stuff. So things like that is interesting and requires you know, a legal intervention. But some of the other ones can be managed internally, you know, using human resources, marketing if it's uh, an internal marketing matter that you can kind of work out. So those are the resources that you'll need. But bear in mind that OSINT trying to, to to deal with that is really difficult. So getting right into it, um, we want to say HR is your friend. So Jordan and I have been doing this administration for a long time. We realized early on that HR is very, very helpful for an organization, not just in terms of talent management and talent um, uh, procurement, but if you look at it from the perspective of if you involve them with the entire um, life cycle of a security account uh, of authentication in your organization. It allows you to better have a good working relationship with HR. But where this really comes into play is things like monster.com, like linkedin.com. Most likely your HR department is going to have some sort of uh, interaction with those, those types of sites. And you want to be able to work with HR and say, hey, you know, when you have a department head that wants to put a, a job posting out there, can we review it first? Can we make sure that there's nothing that's being posted in that job post that might lead to an attacker having some more information about us? And if you have that solid relationship with HR, you're going to be able to kind of work with that. Uh, at the same time, though, if, if you don't have that working relationship, they could also be an obstacle because now they're going to say, no, we need to get the correct talent in our organization. And to do that, we have to put this inside of our, res or, you know, inside of our job requirements. And there can be that, that play back and forth. A lot of companies don't have legal counsel either, Eric. You know, we, yeah. That's true. Most companies have someone you can go to to talk to about HR, hiring and firing decisions and stuff posted on the internet, but not everyone has legal. So I believe there's one more slide that has text on it, and it's, it's much cleaner after this. So yeah. the same thing, it's just like HR can be your friend and your foes, so can your internal marketing. So the idea is that they can be, they're your subject matter experts on anything social media, right? Someone in systems administration really does not have time to sit and get really, really, really good at social marketing. Like there, there's no reason for it. That's not where their skill set is. But if they see something in the social media world, they need to take very quick and decisive action if it's if it's something that's being disclosed. And having a good relationship with marketing will be a really easy way to like, hey, I see this on here. How can we get rid of it? How can we, you know, reduce the impact of it? Do we need to call PR? That type of thing. They're going to be able to quick go to to do that. And then also, they're also one that's typically managing the website and doing updates to the website. So. An example I can say here is we've had a test where uh, you go and you click on, you know, the leadership of a big organization. It shows the little pictures of, of all the leaders, the leadership. One of the pictures had the EXIF data still in it. So what we quickly learned is that the EXIF data um, had the GPS location of the leaderships of the CEO's house. Right. So the picture was taken in his house. The, web, the picture was on the website. And now anyone that went to the website could get the exact location where the picture was taken. Those are the types of things, if you have a good working relationship with marketing, they can just go in and quickly modify that picture, remove the EXIF data, and you're good to go. Policies and procedures should define that things are scrubbed before posted publicly. So if you look at it from the perspective of, yeah, that sounds a lot like system administration and blue team work. It is. We kind of talked early on that blue team from this perspective is, what you can have like a, a month-long project and find all the recon of your organization, and, and you don't have the resources to do this over and over and over again. It's, Intern? Yeah. No, it doesn't pay the bills either. So what can we do differently? What, what can we look at from a recon perspective? If we want to do this recon, we want to keep it going in a circular pattern so that's always going on, but we don't want to deal with it. We only want to know if something happens and gets disclosed. We don't want to actually have to go and do these month-long projects and do a bunch of research and then have a report and then have to read the report and then do it all over again next month. That's cost prohibitive. So if we can do it differently, what could that look like? 
And what we're talking about here is we're actually going to mix a couple different things, right? So from the blue team perspective, we need to know what that recon looks like, and we're going to gain that from the red team side. The red team side is really good at taking all this, all these different sources on the internet and finding out information that could be an attack vector. Blue team is really good at trying to limit that. And then we've got this automation perspective that we'll talk about as well that we can really form all this together into a meaningful solution. So there's one more slide with a bunch of text. So about the sources, we're going to talk about just a handful. There are a ton of sources out here. There's some interesting things about the ones we chose, though. So we're going to talk about Pastebin, GitHub, Shodan, Verified, those big like data uh, repositories of personal data. Obviously, the, the social media. Monster and LinkedIn, the, the ones that are based off of job applicants and resumes, that type of thing. And then uh, the public websites and portals, and also Amazon, I didn't have them there. So, yeah, there was, a, there was a question about the dark web, and I just had signed up for Ben Verified again, which I do occasionally and run stuff. Ben Verified has one of those dark web, go search yourself on the dark web scans. The first thing I asked was, is it just an API? Of have, have exactly. They're reaching out to... Troy's yeah. APIs and asking if you have passwords breached somewhere. And they're calling it dark web. Well, I suspect they're doing this. They're calling it dark web because a lot of those disclosures are possibly from the dark or they're not, and they're just posted on Pastebin. You know? So let's talk about Pastebin. Pastebin's a place where you can go and you can just post stuff, and then they give you back a URL that you can go share. And it's there. You can put time limits on it. You can have a private account where stuff's not shared with everyone, but basically it's out there for everyone if you don't set up the, the configuration to make it private. So Pastebin, if you have an, uh, have an account, you can get an API key, and also just from their interface that you log into, you can set up alerts. So here we have an example. We've set up an alert that anytime you type in blackhillsinformationsecurity.com or blackhillsinfosec.com inside of a Paste, it's going to send this admin to your email. Now you'd think, oh my gosh, that got to be a lot of email. Uh, it can be. We get these. It's actually pretty, not too bad. It's it's not. And what we find is a lot of people that will make a bookmark for our web page will end up seeing these pages. On their whole bookmark. Of their entire page. So if you if you ever made a if you've got Black Hills InfoSec as a bookmark and then you go and dump your bookmarks in Pastebin, we're going to get an email and we're going to have all your bookmarks. Yeah, Ooh. yeah don't oh. do that. Oh, yeah, don't give us extra work. So anyway, the, the point here is that yes, you can do it's busy. <laughs> you can do it with an email alert, right? So this is an email alert that would go notify someone. Hey, go look at this. There's potentially something disclosed that has your keyword in it. Those keywords can be anything. We just use the website, but you could be anything. You can make it say, you know, Apple. And then you're going to get a bunch of emails. Point being is that this exists and can be set up, and it can be set up with an API key. We're going to talk about the API keys a little bit later. Moving forward, you can do the exact same thing with Google Wait, Search. So, got, yes. a, got a quick question. So somebody just said, what was that tool that you mentioned for looking for personally identifiable information on the dark web? Oh, I paid for another Ben Verified. They're one of the data brokers, one of the big data brokers. We so will, there's nine or ten companies you can go pay monthly yeah, to. Well, and we do, yeah, we uh, as mentioned, the TransUnion. We mentioned that earlier. So that's mm -hmm. that's another one. That's $5 per query. But you have to actually be verified. They have to come to your place of business. Make sure you have a sign on the outside of your building and you have locking doors before they give you access. That's pretty much it. But is that the one that also has social security numbers listed for background checks? Yeah, that's the one that does social security numbers, full criminal background checks, your car, your license plate, every place your car has been, all of We're your loans. Yeah. Stop. We'll, we'll talk about more about Ben Verified, too, because there's something interesting with this that I'll bring up in a little bit. So, Pastebin, you can do those alerts with Google searches. You can do the same thing. You can tell Google, hey, anytime you see in your indexing this keyword, send me an email which is a really interesting one. I, I have one set up personally for uh, keyword iClerks. It's not a very common name. I don't get very many hits on it. And this one, uh, UNK student experiences donating bone marrow to a stranger. Hey, cool. But anyways, it's, it's useful things like that. So instead of having you know, your last name, you might have your business name in there. And then anytime Google runs across uh, when they're spidering websites, that keyword is going to trigger an email alert to come back out. So and you can do the same thing again with APIs. All right, moving on, certificate transparency logs. This is kind of cool. So certificate transparency is a way that browsers have been programmed to try to alleviate some of the security vulnerabilities that come from using uh, PKI, public key infrastructure. And the idea is that now browsers will actually reach out to transparency logs and say, hey, I'm at this URL and I received this SSL security certificate. This now, is brilliant stuff. Yeah. So. Those security logs are awesome because it allows browsers now to 
they kind of like democratized it, right? So now browsers can actually make aware decisions on whether or not a SSL that it found at a URL is actually trustworthy, not just from a certificate transparency revocation list, but actually based on if anyone else has gone there and what the determination was at that time as well. So what that means from an attacker's perspective though, is now that there's these transparency logs that have all of the domains listed with certificates that were found. So you can now cross-reference, hey, go look inside of all these logs for anything that included this domain and give me all the certificates it found and the URLs that those certificates were found at, or sometimes the IP addresses. This is huge because this opens up a door that if you've got a certificate that's hosted on an HTTPS server, now there's a third party that is going to say, hey, this browser went here and got this certificate, and they're they're keeping track of that, and that can be criminal. So in this case, we're using SSLmate, and what SSLmate is doing in this case is it, you give it a domain that you want to search for, and what it'll do is it'll go find all the certificates that have a matching domain name, and then also in those certificate transparency logs, it's going to free that and say, I also found these certificates that may or may not be related that were hosted on a website found on this DNS name. So that really becomes interesting. From a recon reconnaissance perspective, you can now find services that you might not have been able to find, especially if there were something more than just DNS brute forcing. You might have found like VPN dot domain name, right? But you might not have found VPN 157231 dot host name. So this now kind of gives reconnaissance a perspective of, oh, hey, we don't have to brute force all the time. If it had HTTPS, when I had a browser that was using certificate transparency logs, you can find it just by querying it. So in this case, uh, SSL made as a service you can pick up. Um, it will monitor that, and anytime it sees a new certificate with your domain name in it, it will send you an email saying, hey, found the certificate. And it, this is kind of a cool service because with uh, SSL made, you can actually specify who your authorized CAs are. So you can say, I only purchase a certificate from DigiCert, right? So if you ever see a certificate on my domain that's not a DigiCert, make it a critical email alert that you send me because so, I know I didn't purchase that. So a couple of things that are kind of interesting. One, somebody brought up DNS Twister. Probably is a pretty cool tool to add to this as well. But one of the, the my favorite stories, it's actually now in SANS 504 that Josh has taken over with NetWars, the counterhack team was registering certificates that would be used for the actual NetWars tournament. I think it was last year and or two years ago. And there was a company, their whole team was into the, the holiday hack challenge, and they were able to see the certificate was purchased for a domain that was going to eventually be the domain that CounterHack was going to release. But this company was able to access the game early and get like a week head start and win the game before anybody else. And CounterHack was like, that seems like fair play for a hacking, a hacking challenge. You know, and it brings up an interesting point that I think is really important here is that you don't have to authenticate your domains to have this service, right? You can just say, go monitor this, this domain and tell me whenever you see anything. So if you have, you know, a target, this could be used by red team, blue team, attacker, defender. And then from this perspective, we're using it as both right now, right? Where we actively want to know this information. We want to know about it right away. So as soon as that SSL cert is found, notify us. Um, someone asked if this is a free service. It's almost free. It's like bucks, uh, a few dollars per month. So it's, it's almost free. It's close enough, right? Freemium. <laughs> Freemium, yeah. There might actually be a free version on there too. So, uh, next, we're going to talk about Shodan. Now, um, I took a very, very scaled down view from Shodan. Shodan is massive, but if you have an account there, you can say, hey, every day I want you to go take these IP addresses, take these domain names, and tell me everything you find about them, which is cool. So, if you have an external network perimeter, you're probably already scanning with, you know, some service that you other have, maybe um, Nessus or something like that. That's, that's doing it all the time anyway. It's kind of an add-on service to this. So interesting things here is one, it's API-based, so you can do this outside of the GUI. The other cool thing here is that it will also scan for vulnerabilities that are out there. And if you know the Shodan community, they're actively finding things all the time and adding signatures to it. So you might find something that Shodan has identified on your network before it ends up being a plugin in Nessus. So that's kind of interesting. Like MX Toolbox, which we will get to as well. Mm -hmm. You can also do service monitoring here. You have, let's Absolutely. say you maintain a very accurate inventory of your external surface. You can pay Shodan to monitor your, those services and get alerted when they go down. Or Yeah, there's definitely some overlap in the tools we're looking at here. So Shodan from this perspective is, hey, tell me if there's changes on this network, but you can also do it for service monitoring. So we'll kind of get into a little bit more about that. So HackerTarget.com is another interesting one. Now, HackerTarget comes from DNS Dumpster. So DNS Dumpster is a portion of HackerTarget. 
if with Hacker Target, you can basically do the exact same thing. They offer similar services as Shodan, similar services as MX Toolbox. We want API based here. You can do it with uh, the GUI interface as well. Some interesting ones about this that I noticed. If, so DNS Dumpster has really great DNS enumeration platform. And historical stuff, which is awesome. Yeah. So if you want to do that in API form, you can't really do it using DNS Dumpster. You do it with their parent, which is Hacker Target. So here I've set up a scan that just runs every day and it's going to send us an email if there's changes to this NMAP port scan. But more importantly, the screenshot I didn't get is the fact that we're also doing the DNS enumeration. So um, we're going to run that DNS enumeration every day. And if there's changes, then send us that email alert. Right. So that's kind of the important one here. Yeah, so moving on, MX Toolbox. So this is one that you don't think about as a reconnaissance perspective because it's more of a systems administration tool. It's more like, hey, go monitor this port and tell me if it ever goes down or if it ever has a ping time more than you know 50 milliseconds. You know, another good example used uh, MX Toolbox for is you can set up mail loops, right? So it'll say, send an email from MX Toolbox to my mail server. My mail server, when you receive that, send it back to MX Toolbox, and MX Toolbox. Tell me if that email is either not received or if it goes over a certain time threshold. So that's another service that they have. It's kind of cool. It produces a lot of false positives just from network latency probably, but it's an interesting tool to have. But more importantly, it can be used for some DNS enumeration stuff as well. So in this case, the screenshot we have here, on the left-hand side, we've set up an alert for just monitoring the alias record for blackhillsinfosec.com. Anytime we get any changes to that, it's going to send us an email. It actually sent John an email a couple nights ago, and he was kind of worried about it. I'm like, no, it's just a low balancer thing. Don't worry about it. But yeah, so if anyone had gotten to the point that they could have made a change to our DNS record, we'd know about it right away. Again, that's more of a blue team defense piece, but you can do it for recon as well. Yeah, so, which we do, right? Because you can go out. I can have MX Toolbox reach out to services on your network and tell me if they're open without me making direct contact. Absolutely. So the idea here is that you can, again, all API-based. I'm using the GUI here just from some screenshots, but the API is there. Um, they have a whole slew of different sensors and uh items you can use in their API. And again, we're going to talk about those APIs in a little bit. Uh, DMARC is going to be coming up as well. We'll talk about that. Um, URL crazy. So this might be similar to uh, DNS Twister. So what URL crazy is doing is if you give it a uh, domain name, so in this case, we give it blackhillsinfosec.com, it's going to try, I think, like 128 or 250. It's a huge number of different transpositions of the letters using like LeetSpeak, using transpose letters, using omitted letters to find all the domains that look similar, typo squat domains, right? And it's going to give you an output from that. So pretty useful. It's it's a really cool tool. And we've been able to find a lot of times, actually Jordan ran this last night and he said, hey, look at this, Black Hills InfoSec, you'll notice that there's an L missing, right? So Black Hill, Hiles, and yeah, exactly. anyways. So the point being is that using uh, URL crazy, we're able to find this typo squat domain that someone registered. And I think Jordan registered, so it's okay. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly is it gave us that information, that insight to say, hey, this domain is actually registered. You should go check it out. Like go figure out why there's a domain that's registered so similarly to your domain name. Now, from a marketing perspective, they probably want to own all of them, right? But that's really expensive. But if they own all of them, you don't have to worry about typo squats. But we had a customer blow up. I don't know if what tool they use. I think they use honestly Mark Monitor. Mm -hmm. But they blew up a red team before we even had our infrastructure stood up. So well, what's the order of operations, right? You go find domains that may look similar to a target organization. You register a domain. You stand up a site. You stand up your frameworks. By the time we had purchased a domain and we're moving toward frameworks, guess what? They're like. Do you guys register a domain that look like ours? So Mark Monitor is not a service I necessarily like want to push you towards because it costs money, but they are like they're really effective at these things like typo squatting and catching character omissions and domains similarities. URL crazy is free. Exactly. And if you wrap it in Python, make an API. Make magic. Happen. Okay, so we're gonna talk about that too, right? So we're we're talking about all this stuff being manual. You have to go run URL crazy and compare its results every 10 minutes. That's probably what Mark Monitor does, but you can do that too with a system we're going to talk about in a little bit. So uh, <laughs> this is again, now we're going back to, okay, Nemex Toolbox, can we monitor what we find from URL, uh, URL Crazy? And it kind of becomes a loop then, right? And what happens is now you'll be able to do recon based off MX Toolbox, based off your other tool sets, based off what URL Crazy found. Can we do this like really fast? and have all this information going into legal. So by the time this hits, 
uh, maybe an hour after that domain was registered, can you have a report in your hands that you can take the legal and say, hey, we got a problem? Might um, have a problem, yeah. Might have a problem. So interesting things. So this is a slide that I didn't do any work on. Public website recon. We kind of talked about how marketing is your friend. <laughs> so there, there's some really great tools uh, that are out there that allow you to do things like spider your website, look for all the office documents that are on your website, PDF documents, and pull the EXIF data out and see if there's anything interesting in there. I just didn't get to it. So we'll talk about more of that yeah. another time. And you're, you're flying through the slide deck, so Justin, be prepared. You got about, I don't know, 10 or 12 minutes. Heck yeah. So let's talk about Monster and Glassdoor. Now we talked about HR. HR is, so you're going to be using it from talent procurement, right? So they're going to try to, uh, a hiring manager might say, hey, I need a developer. He needs to add this skill set, very specific, this skill set. I need him to have access to this, this, this. He needs to have this skill set. He needs to have done this for so long. And oh, yeah, by the way, we've got this really incredible piece of software, but it's really niche. I want to make sure he's got that skill set, too. So HR says, okay, this job post looks good. The hiring manager, can you confirm this is all you need? Hiring manager says, yes, HR posted to, to Monster, right? So then a bad guy comes in and says, you know, they might be monitoring Monster for all of the new job posts that come in. And that job post says, hey, they have this really niche piece of software that they're using for this specific purpose, and they're trying to find someone that has that. So from that perspective, you just disclosed what, disclosed what that, that software is or that product, right? You've also disclosed the fact that you need someone that knows how to do that, which implies that someone is leaving, someone is, or they're growing, or they want to implement further into it, but there's some turmoil there that is a cause for this job posting being there. And then Justin's efforts on LinkedIn will help like move this into the red side, make it more dangerous and more, I don't know what to say. It is kind of, and this is a very common thing, right? Saying, I need someone that has Citrix experience for five years. That's not too bad. All you've said is that you use Citrix. There's so many Citrix products that it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's ominous, honestly, but it's not too bad. But when you start saying, I need someone that uses AS400 with this specific database, that's getting pretty, pretty down into the weeds where you've now said, yes, I want this specific skill set, but you've disclosed your use of that skill set, which may be a problem or might not be. Um, another interesting one is Glassdoor. So Glassdoor is this wonderful website for employees. It's almost, again, like employee... Well, that's the right way to say it is. I've never seen anything too positive on Glassdoor. It always seems like if you had a previous employer you didn't like, it's a great opportunity to go and complain about your ex-employer, which is interesting from an employer's perspective. So on Glassdoor, you can set up an account as an employee or as, a, I guess, a, a candidate, an employee, a person, and you can make comments about employers. As an employer, you can create an account and without too much authorization, Say, anytime someone is posting about our employer, or our employer, I want to know about it and I want the ability to respond or omit that review. So useful from a blue team perspective because now we've got that feedback loop, right? If someone posts something on Glassdoor, we can now receive that right away and we can somehow mimic it or uh, deal with it, right? So we can either remove it or, you know, respond to it. Interesting things about that. So those types of services exist. And people don't generally go to Glassdoor to say, oh, my gosh, I love my employer so much. <laughs> it's the happiest place on earth, and I get paid in infinity. And I've yeah. never posted to Glassdoor. I wouldn't suggest you do it personally. No, but I occasionally find it when I'm searching for a company. <laughs> All right. So, so, uh, ahead, so uh, there was, uh, there's been a number of sites like Glassdoor over the years. There was one that was called, uh, it was called Corporate MoFo. I don't know if it still exists, but it's similar to Glassdoor as far as people could come and they could complain about the business they worked at. And I worked at a company and I read all the different reviews and the things that they were talking about. And I was like, there's no way it could be that bad. It was absolutely that bad. So it is fun to find some information posted up there. Um, Jason mentions a good point here that HR would typically be monitoring Glassdoor um, and they would, but you now want to you want to leverage on that relationship with HR because if they can notify you of things that might be disclosed in those posts, it'll be very helpful. So, yeah, the uh, the the data broker slide. I I don't like the data broker thing and the whole postulus of collecting data about people so to make, make money. So this stuff makes me really uncomfortable. But I went ahead and signed up again. Go look up your grandma and see how it connects your grandma to Kent somehow across the universe, whatever. They figure these things out and they pay for it and they then sell that back to us. All you have to say is, 
I'm not going to use this data for um, hiring or renting a house to someone. And you can have basically the entirety of human existence's collected data. There is an awesome webcast that Mike and Bo gave a while ago called Weaponizing Corporate Intel. And it, it goes into this stuff in great detail. So Mike, of course, putting together his terrifying perspective of credential harvesting in the world. We've got an example of where this is uh, interesting from a red team perspective from a really kind of in the weeds way. So a test where you might have someone with 2FA set up and 2FA has a way to reset your device if you can answer these challenge questions, right? And the challenge question might be, what was the first car you ever owned? What was the color of the first car you ever owned? And it seems like a pretty decent question if you're like me and can't remember. But from the perspective of what can an attacker do with that? So Ben Verified has a links with, I think it's LexisNexis, what is it? Does that sound right? So they've got the database set up where they can actually query states for vehicle registrations. So you can do a query on someone and find out what cars they own. And it doesn't really give you a lot of information about the cars, but it will give you the VIN number because that's what the state keeps track of. With the VIN number, what we've found is that you can just straight up copy paste the VIN number into Google. And if that car has ever been sold on a used car lot, they probably put the VIN number on the posting. And there's going to be some sort of spidering that caught that. So what you'll end up with is a picture of the actual car that that person owns, which is super interesting. Also, that's a terrible challenge question anyway, because how many different colors of cars are there that are common? The first color of car I had was red or white. Maybe it's black. You probably got it already. Didn't that work on social engineering call for you? It did. Oh, so using that data source. Uh, I didn't. I actually said the first car I had was red. No, wait, it was white because there was awkward silence. He's like, you're right, it was white. <laughs> I was like, you're right, it was white. I, I, yeah, I was driving my dad's car. That was the first one. So yeah, I like those. B E E N B E. You're like those TV psychics. I'm reading. I'm reading that. You have issues with your mother. It's like, I do. It doesn't matter what they are. It's whatever people want it to be. Wait, are you talking about those? Who doesn't? So Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. There, there is a good flag question here to address. Can oh, you good. speak to the right. use of account aggregation service providers who host solutions like Mint, which I have no experience with, to conduct recon and red teaming exercises? John, are you familiar with Mint? No, I'm not. Uh, but I'm I did get a really good point. Somebody pointed out, Christopher uh, pointed out, I said, you can dump any VIN into CarMax and find out where it's been serviced over its entire life. Uh, that's really, really cool. And a lot of those VIN numbers, you can just go up and you can just take a picture. Like, I mean, it's all right there yeah. through the windshield. So that's a great Ooh. tip, Christopher. Oh, so you could take a picture of my car and know where my house is based off the fact that there's a shop next door that I've taken. Ugh. All right. So I, I personally find Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit the most amazing community sources on the internet. A lot of great information comes from here. So I've had a few physical tests over the last couple months, and it's been a very interesting journey. There's a friend of the family here called uh, named Joe Gray, who does a lot of OSINT and a lot of this stuff. And he told me the first place he goes for OSINT is Instagram. And on Instagram, guess what you find? Hashtag workplace, hashtag target corporation, hashtag whatever, nice badge you got there, sir. Clone a badge, print your own. Looks like you are supposed to be there for a lot of different reasons. People will Is that at least see saying? your badge and then go, oh, you're probably supposed to be here. Is that Matthew saying? I don't think that is Matthew saying, <laughs> unless he works at Cisco Systems. So I think the interesting point here is that what happens if someone takes a picture of the, the company get together and everybody's wearing their badge? Well, you just disclose your badge design, right? Should not be that bad, but it, it kind of can be. Obviously, Facebook for a long time has gotten a lot of bad rap because people go and complain there because they don't go and say great things about anything that people go to complain. And when you complain, you're more in a mood to disclose something that you shouldn't. The great thing about Twitter, Facebook, API keys, you know, Instagram, I suppose Reddit does too, but the ability to search those services for specific keywords is really what's interesting there. So definitely. Um, an interesting one, I know you mentioned Facebook. So there oh, was- Instagram. <laughs> Instagram, thank you. So there was a physical that was done sometime in the last year where one of our pen testers went and did a physical and ended up posted on the, the social media webpage of the company in like one of their group gath employee gatherings. He was just there hanging out and uh, ended up on their webpage. So that was kind of an awesome thing. 
right. So uh, Hunter.io is the next one here. All right. So Jason, Justin, excuse me, is going to talk about LinkedIn a little bit too. Hunter.io is a website that they have scraped the entire internet looking for email addresses. And for every domain that you can possibly give them, they're going to give you a couple different things. They're going to give you the email address they found and all the different sites, the URLs that they found that at. And they're also going to give you the syntax that an organization will use for the domain. So, for example, Black Hills Information Security is first name at Black Hills Information Security. It varies, to be honest. But a lot of what different sites will, will vary their, their email address syntax. But if you have that, you could then go and say, hey, go send an email to the top 1,000 first names in America and send them to blackhillsandmissionary.com. Please don't do that. And uh, when you do that, you'll get a list back of a bunch of returns, but the ones that don't return, you know, we're in a valid account. So um, it can be a way, another way of trying to enumerate out email address accounts. <sighs> okay, so um, that's all I want to talk about on Hunter.io. There's other services that are much like it. Have I been pwned? Um, again, Troy has done an amazing job here. Jordan mentioned I've been verified there is a service to do the dark web search, which I figure is probably just an API call to have I been pwned. And the reason I figure that is because there's other services that are doing things similar now, and a lot of Troy's stuff, well, I think yeah. the premise is a lot of Troy's content comes from the dark web. I don't know that it actually does. I think it'd be an interesting question for him because I think we're finding a lot more that Pace are now just done on the clear text web, and it's, it is what it is. But from this perspective, have I been pwned? The interesting things here is, yes, I can go as a person, I can go type in my email address and find out if my information is disclosed anywhere. More importantly, from a business perspective, is you can also give them your domain name, and they will give you back a spreadsheet or an API call that will give you all of the email addresses on that domain that have been disclosed anywhere. So you no longer have to do one email address at a time, you can do the entire domain important. So then what happens is they will monitor that for you. And if there's a disclosure that uh, happens and there's posted the breach, whatever, and it matches an email address in your account or that you're monitoring, you will get an email sent to you that will click the one item on the right here, which is they're giving you information about the breach and how many of your accounts inside of your domain were publicly disclosed. And uh, that's kind of all I want to talk about there. Again, key thing is API keys. We're talking, we keep talking about API keys. So this is, uh, using SPF records. So center policy framework on mail systems. I wanted to, to get add this in here. We talked about this two years ago. It was almost two years ago, I think. Holy cow. And this was uh, SPF auto oh, recon. that's right. This was awesome. So auto response. If you think about what SPF is doing, SPF is a framework so that if you send an email to someone, the, the recipient mail server looks at it and says, yes, you are authorized to send it because I found these DNS records over here. So SPF can do more than that. They can actually say, you can create an SPF record that says, um, do a callback, right? So now you can say, as an owner of the domain, I can send emails and I'm authorized to send emails. A third party can send an email to a fourth party using my domain and I might not want them to do it, right? SPF can be used to say, no, that email is not validated. It's not authorized to be sent. This was, this is, Center Policy Framework's been around for a long time. There was a modification to the RFC a couple of years into the original spec that changed it so you could have webhooks. What the webhook did is now as the owner of the DNS record, I could say third party, if you send an email to the uh, recipient mail server, and I'm talking with my hands, the recipient mail server, recipient mail server receives it and says, okay, I received your email. I see that you're not authorized to send the email. So I'm, I'm going to reject your email, but on top of rejecting it, I've got this DNS record that says there's a webhook. And I now have to tell this guy over here that you sent an email. And uh, just give some basic information. So auto recon, uh, auto SPF recon, what it's doing is it's saying it creates that webhook entry and you can receive that information as the domain owner and then you can do something with it. So the context is uh, a bad guy sends an email unauthorized. That email is received by the mail recipient mail server. Recipient mail server tells the domain owner. Domain owner then takes a look at where that original email is sent from and can do some recon. That's what auto recon did. Very, very simple. It's like a 10 line bash script is super easy. Okay, two quick ones. Uh, not probably quick, but what do you do when you find your employees breached and let's say credentials dumped, like literally credentials dumped? I, I wrote two things in here that I would do. How many credentials? It All doesn't matter. Let's just say 50 of your employees were owned in a breach and their credentials are posted, username and password. So you've got a couple of problems. One is you don't know if the access to that, those uh, data sets or those credentials is real time. If it is, you need to fix that leak. But obviously, you don't want users accessing those accounts. You need to get them changed. There was a story the last two months. A school, do you remember this? A university got 
hacked, their passwords were disclosed, and they forced every student to come to the help desk. And there was like pictures on, on, on the news of like this line of students that went around the block. There's like 5,000 students that had to have their password changed in person at the help desk so that they can validate the identity of every student. That's big. Yeah, but think about this, right? If you if you would treat our situations, like let's say we get in and we take over your entire domain and we dump NTDS DIT, there are organizations we test who treat that as full breach. Every account is locked until every single person is validated by driver's license or some kind of personal identification. Then their account is unlocked and password changed. It's costly. Right. But OK, the other the other point I made about this was learn how to credential stuff. Right. So this is purple teaming. You as a blue teamer find breach data. You as a red teamer take that credential set and credential stuff. Right. You reattack your own network with these usernames and passwords. Then you have a list of potentially valid accounts. You've done your quote unquote colored purple team duty, which is monitor stuff test stuff, clean stuff up, be offensive, be defensive, and mix all these things and just, so anyway, that just, was my. We just had our developers come in and say, why are you in our office? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's very interesting what happens when credentials get breached and, and how you need to handle that. Okay, one more. And then uh, Troy Hunt. Yeah. So we talk about uh, Ben Verified using Troy Hunt as, as their dark web search. So Troy Hunt gets a data set. We try to go find out those same data sets, download them and crack them. Troy downloads publicly disclosed breaches, cracks, and then analyzes. It's worth knowing. He does not necessarily yeah. get this stuff from the dark web. We Doesn't are saying that the dark web scans utilized by data brokers who tell you they're going to do a dark web scan on your person is actually asking Troy to verify whether you have credentials out there, how many breaches you've been a part of, and things so like that. So here's the thing. I suspect that's what they're doing because it, there is some there is some credence to it because Troy does get some stuff from the dark web. My, my concern, the reason I think that they're doing that as opposed to actually doing the alternative is the dark web's a, a nasty place. And if you actually want to set up shopping the dark web and actually be monitoring it for real is really not a small thing. It, it's actually, I mean, yeah. you've got to have a huge legal team. Okay, we got four minutes. Perfect. And then we're turning it over to Justin, and we'll save a few minutes for QA. Okay, so we talked about auto recon SPF, right? So now, after SPF was out, then came DCAM, domain keys, right? After DCAM came DMARC, and DMARC was like the thing that was going to glue all of it together. So DMARC is really cool. Does not stand for demarcation point. <laughs> for all of our systems <laughs> here. Um, so DMARC is something that you can say, okay, recipient mail servers. Anytime you receive email, not only do I want you to tell me information about that, but I want you to aggregate all that information and build me a report. So on the left-hand side here, you see one of these DMARC aggregate reports. So this is third party sending email to a recipient mail server, recipient mail server saying, okay, your email is from this domain. This domain says, I need to send this mail report to this person over here. That's what that looks like. The report is on the left-hand side. It's XML. It's really not very helpful because you get a lot of these. Essentially, every recipient mail server will send one per domain. So if you send out a lot of emails, you are going to get a lot of emails in return, at least one per originating domain times recipient domain times per day. So it's a lot of emails. So instead, you can use other services that take all of those XML reports together, aggregate them, and give them something, give you something meaningful in return. So the middle side there is a similar product. DMARC Analyzer will take all of those XML reports and give you some some quantified information that's helpful. So in this case, are there actually quantified numbers on there? There's not on that screenshot, but yeah, there is volume. So 327 emails in one day from one domain. And of those, it looks like 87.2%, something like that, were green, which means DMARC uh, authenticated or authorized rather. So DMARC authorized means it can be configured differently, but typically SPF record match and your DKIM records match. So what's interesting there is the red on the far right hand side there. The red means that an email was sent from an organization to a third party. That third party received it and said, hold up, you're not authorized to send that email. Eh, you know what? I'm configured to send those emails through anyway because we don't have a we have a kind of a lax spam policy. So I'm gonna go ahead and deliver your email, but I need to send this email to this original domain owner. So what that's called is a DMARC forensic report. And that is when that email fails, compliant uh, SMTP servers are going to then take a snapshot of that email and send it as a forensic report 
to the owner or of the DMARC DNS record specifies. On the right-hand side, you'll see one of those forensic reports. Now, the top part there is all the, H uh, all the headers, mail headers. It's the entire email. So DMARC Analyzer does a really good job. It gives you just the mail headers. But if you want the actual contents of the email, say, for example, for a fish, you look in and it's uh, encrypted. You have to get your PGP key. And it will give you the actual email that was offending on your domain domain name, it's going to give that back to you, even though your mail server was not involved at all. So that's kind of cool. All right, so Amazon S3, we're gonna talk about Gray Hat Warfare really quick. Uh, Gray Hat Warfare allows you to uh, search all the S3 public, all, lots, lots of public S3 buckets, both for file names and for bucket names. Anyway, key thing there is there's an API key. Let's talk about API keys. We've got a couple minutes. All right, so APIs everywhere. So I didn't get that picture in there yet. APIs, APIs are, okay. So almost all the services we talked about today have API keys, which means instead of using the GUI, you could have done it with a curl calls or with HTTP calls. So this gives us the ability to manipulate things, manage things, automate things. Okay, so um, if you don't want to spend a lot of time in Python and you also want to do things in a different fashion, maybe that's a little bit more efficient for you, you can use something like Zabbix. So for those that don't know, Zabbix is a monitoring platform. Think of MX Toolbox, but on-site. So it allows you to do much more granular things. It's got a really cool uh, platform for auto-discovery things, uh, for monitoring different protocol services, doing your own code writing in it, the code writing in it. And it's, it's very, a really great platform for learning as well. So we use it internally to monitor our servers here, but you can do much more with it. So in this example, I've created an item, which is just a, a record, essentially, a record about something. And this record is going to be an uh, HTTP agent, which just means it's going to be a web call, right? The key is there. The key is just a, a name in Zavix that you can reference. And then we're giving it the URL. So the URL is now that Gray Hat Warfare uh, API call. And we're giving it the asset access token key and the full path. So the last part you see at the very right of the middle highlighted box is host.host. Host.host .host is a variable inside of Zabbix that just a keyword that we're using. So we now have a keyword. We're putting that into the URL. That is our search query. And then we're giving us some information about the API, the access token. And then we're saying that uh, the response that we get, are going to get back is JSON. So what that looks like, now we're telling Zabbix, every day I want you to go run that query and document it. Right. So this screenshot is Zabbix doing that. It's now ran that query. I ran a couple times um, with, with a couple different keywords. And it's going to produce this. Every day, it's going to add that record in, right? So you can do a couple things. You can say, if that record ever includes this regex data, send an alert. Cool. Um, you can also have it say, if that ever changes, send an email or highlight it as an alert in Zabbix. Okay, where that's cool for, for uh, Gray Hat Warfare is you don't have to now go to Gray Hat Warfare every day and type in your keywords. This is going to do it for you every day. You'll get an email if something new shot uh, was pulled in that you weren't expecting. So those things are cool. The key thing here is that it's not just for Gray Hat Warfare. It's all those API keys. You can do all of it. So here's a scenario for you. Let's take like hunter.io, or let's take um, what J uh, Justin's going to talk about in just a minute uh, as a seed for all of this. Zabbix has things called discovery tools. So you can say, Zabbix, go and find all of the hunter.io email addresses for this domain. Okay, And it's going to go and do that. It's going to create a record for all of those. And then you can say, for all those records you just created, go query Ben Verified and query all of that information and get all of that into a profile. Okay, we don't care about that initial seed, probably. Now you can say, Zabbix, every day, go do that over again. And if anything changes, tell me, right? So you are now no longer having to once a quarter, once a month, spend hours on your recon process. This is going to run every day and only notify you if there are changes in your recon stack. And that's kind of one way of doing this. Obviously, you could rewrite this entire thing in Python, but this is kind of a cool way that you can do it because a lot of the, the blue team and, and systems administrators that are already trying to manage other platforms, um, if they're not dedicated to just blue team, they're probably using other system monitor tools that are very capable of doing those API calls and holding that door, data for real time and for historical purposes. And this kind of comes into, we talked about like URL crazy, what that could look like. And URL crazy can now be a, ingest for Zabbix. And you can say, make that change. That change can then go spool other uh, reconnaissance items. And that means that an hour after a domain is registered that infringes on your domain name, you can take that report to legal and say, hey, can you guys help us deal with this? That's the last slide. So we've got a couple minutes for questions and then uh, we're switching over we'll, to- Let's switch Justin. to Justin right now. Okay. We'll do questions post. Justin, I am making you presenter.
I'm trying to make so it now we are also switching <laughs> from purple and defensive in nature to full on red team. I think you are presenter. Okay, stand by just one second. Stand by, volume up just a little bit, sir. Brilliant. Alrighty, how are we doing? Can you hear me now? Good, yep. Awesome. So I'm kind of stepping in here to show off some of my crappy code. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I developed a utility to assist with performing reconnaissance on LinkedIn that's very much like a Visex utility known as LinkedIn. Effectively, what it does is it reaches out and hits LinkedIn in an authenticated context based on credentials that you pass to it and will pull back a bunch of information about user profiles. What's kind of neat about it is it targets specific company profiles. So uh, we're actually going to do, well, I've got a few slides here that gives an example of, uh, of how to use it. We're going to target Subaru of America and see if we can't uh, pull some user records from them. But uh, it pulls quite a bit of good information and where it differs from a lot of other utilities that kind of do the same thing is it makes direct API calls with the LinkedIn API. So you're getting structured information back and there's no guesswork. A lot of things that hit cache information, you end up having to parse and the information that or the data components end up being like mangled and don't make a lot of sense. Very difficult to craft anything usable out of that. This removes that entirely by actually becoming an API client to LinkedIn. Written in Python 3, all that fun stuff. And uh, there is the link here. If anyone wants that, I'm sure you will here in a few moments. There are a few gotchas with this utility. There's a monthly API request limit assigned to your account if you do not have a premium account or a, uh, there's a different kind of account. I can't remember the name of it right now but uh, it has an unlimited number of api requests so if you have that fancy account then you can just use the heck out of peasant and you don't have anything to worry about but well, if you don't i think you get like three thousand requests or so and then hey, you will know i'm sorry i was gonna say exactly how many accounts have you had banned by linkedin by this uh, tool so far <laughs> quite a few i'm out of phone numbers that's for sure I think I'm at 10 at this point. <laughs> so, uh, so like if I used my account, which I've been cultivating and harvesting for f like 15 years, that might be a bad idea. I mean, so potentially the biggest thing, so one capability that peasant has is a spoofing capability. So you can actually point peasant at another profile and it will duplicate all of the content from that target profile back to yours. LinkedIn does not care for that apparently. And that is what will get you banned really quick. And uh, what they'll do is when you get your account jailed, they will you will receive a prompt and that prompt will request that you send them some form of ID verifying that you are who you are claiming to be, as in like a driver's license. I have not given them my driver's license, nor do I plan to. So I just repeatedly make <laughs> make new accounts. But I wonder, yeah. I wonder if they made it so that accounts weren't free, if that would cut down on that. Oh, wait. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, having trouble keeping up with all the comments and the questions, uh, since half of them now involve horses, apparently. So, hey, let's cut that out. <laughs> I don't even want to know. I'm glad that I'm looking at that screen at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it, it, went, it went south fast. So, um, All right. So but, what's yep. up? Go ahead. So yeah, you're, it's going to be unlikely that you're going to recover all of the profiles associated with the company because there's some social media magic that I haven't quite reverse engineered. It just depends. The profiles that are made accessible to you from a company uh, it tends to vary based on a, like several different things like geographic location, whether or not you are, your profile is configured to be a member of that company which is actually an interesting concept because there's no way of verifying whether or not you actually work for a company. You can just claim that you work there and then you then have like access to more profiles. LinkedIn is just this big beast of complexity. Seems a little superstitious. That's because there's a lot happening, but Peasant will help you maximize the number of records that you can access. It has three different modes of operation. You have harvest contacts, which is what will extract all of the profile information for you. You have add contacts, 
And what add context does is it consumes the CSV file that harvest context just created for you. And then we'll automate the process of sending a connection request to those contacts. So you go from like no contacts with your target profile or your target company to anyone that will accept you. And since everyone nice likes that nice little hit of dopamine when they get a friend request or whatever, people are always going to accept your connections. Regardless of how crappy your profile is, someone is going to be like, cool, that's going to be an, like an extra digit on my number of connections, and they will accept it. And then you're able to access more profiles associated with their company. And then we have spoof contact, which uh, John and I were talking about just a few moments ago. I thought it'd be kind of cool if we kind of went through a, a test case and we're going to target uh, Subaru of America and see if we can't collect a lot of user information about people who are associated with that company. In order for you to use the harvest command, you will need a company identifier, which I've outlined here. It's a very basic to get, also a super basic uh, Google dork. That is the, the Subaru Dash of America component is all you will need to really get moving. And also and a LinkedIn account, of course. And when we're running it in harvest mode, you can you have a couple of different options in terms of authentication. LinkedIn has been doing some really interesting things with how one authenticates or how all the authentication occurs on the back end to prevent tools like this from working. So there is a username and password uh, capability in Peasant, but you've got like a 20% chance of it working. The best path is to use your cookies. So you can point Peasant at a JSON file that contains cookies, or you can point it to your uh, cookies database from Firefox, and it will just pull them right out of that database and authenticate for you. But the initial run of uh, well, targeting Subaru returned 696 potential profiles. And keep in mind at the time, I had no, absolutely zero connections associated with Subaru as a company. So this is just like floating there for anyone to just get, which is amazing. Um, but we can do better. This is what the actual output looks like. So it's a nice little CSV format, even tells you it tracks the occupation. So that way you, if you want to target people that work in the specific type of function within the target organization, you can just kind of grep out that occupation and then target those individuals, or you could also do it the opposite way around and avoid sending the security team connection requests. If everybody on the security team receives the connection request from the same profile, people are going to start asking some questions. Um, and I have been burned be by bad. that. <laughs> so that's what the, uh, the output looks like. And then we also have the, well, at this point, what we'd like to do in order to get more contacts associated with the target company, we're going to send everyone uh, contact requests. And that's what the ad capability does here. And so you can see in the image that we are just automating the process. Everybody that uh, has an accessible profile can receive a connection request. Um, there's a distinct API limit specifically on the ad connections capability. It's a little weird. So you can burn out of those as well. This is another limitation to look out for. But uh, almost immediately, five people accepted those connection requests, and that got us another 100 records of contact information, which is pretty handy. And at this point, we wanted to – we can go been, ahead. And, and go this ahead. has been communicated, like this tool and how this works has been communicated with LinkedIn, correct? Absolutely, it has. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Matter of fact, whenever we were uh, kind of telling them that this was coming, uh, just before me telling them about it, we found a, a small zero—I wouldn't call it a zero day—a vulnerability in LinkedIn itself, and they know about this has been uh, corrected. But while developing this function, particularly the profile spoofing, I found an issue in their API where I could just delete anyone's picture, which uh, honestly so may not be that bad of a thing for some people, right? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. my LinkedIn picture in like two decades or something. <laughs> I just thought it would be hilarious to just, you know, target people that you don't like or competitors and just consistently set up a peasant to just wipe their pictures every day just to be an asshole. Uh, you cause a little bit of havoc there. But, um, but this is how the profile spoofing works. This is the profile that we've been using thus far. This is just some some poor saps face that I uh, that I spoofed at some during some earlier engagement. But if you're doing some social engineering, 
If you just really don't care about terms and conditions, you can also do social engineering through LinkedIn's Messenger. I've done it quite a few times and had great success, believe it or not. And uh, so that would be a good use case for you to use the profile spoofing that your account's definitely going to get burned. So in this case, I just targeted some random fellow. He's got a suit. I would like to have that suit and my profile. Sharp. So he's looking sharp. He is. <laughs> so we just go ahead and snag his public identifier here. We pass it on to Peasant. And then just a few seconds later, we literally become Paul. And if you do this, it's probably a pretty good idea for you to just go ahead and block Paul from Imposter Paul's account because real Paul might get a little sour about you ripping off his profile. Uh, things get a little weird. <clears throat> Helpful hip. Remember, why does this all matter? <laughs> this this, is this all matters because of the process. Yeah. <laughs> Taking a look at an organization from a publicly available free perspective. Absolutely. Yep. I'll use this on almost every single test. Absolutely. And uh, then, of course, making use of that information. Usually, one of the key things that I'm going to go for is I'm going to collect all this, and then I'm going to turn the uh, first names, well, just the name information, into email addresses to support password stuffing or credential stuffing attacks. And uh, Parsuite is another cute little tool that I wrote a while back, and this is the templatizer module. So you can just kind of like make yourself a fancy little template, and then you have a giant list of uh, email addresses that you can use for social engineering, all kinds of stuff. So that, uh, thank you for coming to my TED talk. That's all I have to contribute. <laughs> all right. Woo! All right. Well, we went a little bit over there, but well, that was a lot. That so I want to say thank lots. you very much. I was going to say thank you very much for coming, everybody. We really appreciate it. We'll keep the content coming as long as you guys keep showing up. So with that, you all, I'm sure, have better things to do. Get on with your day, and we will see you in our next webcast.